0: Helps us define our lives. By allowing grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Espinosa Jones. Get ready to be inspired. Create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here's Cheryl Espinosa Jones.
1: Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm welcoming Anne Evans. Anne's a writer, linguist, and former professor, twice a wife and once a widow. She's a mother and grandmother. She's traveled and lived in many countries and speaks six languages. Her first book, Daring to Date Again, from She Writes Press, won multiple prizes for memoir. Her story, Precious Love, was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Anne's appeared on television, radio, and podcasts, including appearances on the Discovery Channel's Sex in America special and NPR's Authors Corner, and she lives in Vermont. Welcome,
2: Anne. Thank you very much. Nice to be here.
1: It's nice to have you. And I I really enjoyed reading your book um, for a number of reasons. Some doesn't resemble my experience, but um, the experience of giving yourself over to grief after, after the loss of a true love, of course, really resonated with me because that's how I came to do this show in the first place. So I thank you for that. With some important differences, uh, and we'll get to know Terry, but I just want to start with uh, that you shared your relationship with him, but also your struggle to try to understand why he took his life with, I would say, virtually no warning. There's nothing in what you described before that time that would have led you to think that might happen, and I... You know, except in retrospect. But at the time, did you have any idea that he was in any kind of danger?
2: (laughs) Yes, I did. But I had had an idea he was in danger before, too. How do you know that this time is different? He had spoken to me frequently about suicide. And in my studies and talking to people since his death, Um, I have learned that most people who kill themselves think about it ahead of time, have these suicidal thoughts. But um, with him, he was, for example, interested in Japanese culture. So we discussed, he played the game of Go at a very high level. And in Japanese culture, suicide is viewed differently. So we discussed the intellectual aspects, the spiritual aspects of Japanese point of view. And there would be legislation that would come up every once in a while. And he would feel very strongly about this. But that doesn't indicate to me that he feels like he's going to kill himself.
1: No, it's about, it's an opinion about suicide itself, not about his
2: own necessarily. It's a subject that interests him very much. And he um, made sure that I knew that if he became incapacitated, he, wanted, he did not want to be kept alive. Which is a kind of suicide, passive suicide, you might say. But my mother had said the same thing to me as she got older.
1: And I, uh, and and I have to say, as an end-of-life practitioner, I'm a therapist. I work in end-of-life end a lot. I actually don't use the word suicide for that. I think they're incredibly different. Well, um,
2: okay. I had uh, experience with this sort of my father. My family were Christian scientists. And when my father got cancer at 66, he did not go to a doctor. He followed his spiritual uh, beliefs and died. It was rather interesting, actually, to see how people used to die, <laughs> because they don't die that way anymore. Not not by and large. Some, some choose to, but... he. I don't know what you would call it, but he accepted the alternative of death over some other alternative. Mm-hmm. So, and Terry um, also did the same thing. And he would ruminate about suicide from time to time. And when I look back, perhaps I should have taken it more seriously, but okay, then what do you do?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Since uh, you were were mature enough to know you couldn't prevent a person, if they were, uh,
2: you know, we really can't prevent it
1: either, can we?
2: Right. And the cause, I think... I, you know, what do I know? But I've been reading and talking to people about it. I think suicide has its own agenda and it's separate from the cause of suicide. Like um, in one of the, the survivor groups that I'm in, a woman once was really ranting about her son's girlfriend And saying she broke up with him in such a cruel manner, and it was instead her fault. But you know, it's not the girlfriend's fault. People, millions of people around the world have bitter, terrible breakups every day, and only some of them kill themselves. So, suicide creeps in. It's like a brain worm that gets in your head. And he was so happy. The the night that he killed himself, he came in to say good night, just wreathed in smiles. He was so unusually happy that I asked him what was what was going on, mm-hmm. and um, so I think he was just happy it was all going to come to an end. Well,
1: and I I think one one um, maybe advantage of aging is. Uh, if something happens and I'm and I'm looking at a way it might have been on me, I, I start laughing. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, life is unpredictable. I'm not in charge of really anything or anyone. Right. <laughs> so the idea that I'm somehow at fault when something goes bad, I I certainly don't take all the credit when something goes right. You know. That's life fine. unpredictable and it does seem to me you got that pretty quickly uh that that place you're talking about where you say what could i have done if i if i did take it seriously yeah, it, right. is a wise comment but nonetheless you're left trying to piece together what could have gotten him to that point where it was more painful to to live than than to take his life
2: well, I think I know the proximate trigger of it, but I, I wanted to say one other thing about what you were saying. Um, entering into a marriage, uh, you take certain vows, but you also establish your philosophy about the marriage, what is what is allowed, what is not allowed, what kind of marriage you're going to have, and it's a kind of contract between two people. And mm-hmm. And I kept reverting back to that. Too, when I was uh, thinking about him well because he had uh, gender dysphoria and uh, I you know I didn't buy into that I I had no um, intentions of becoming a lesbian and he knew that and so I kind of clung to that well you want to change but then I have to change completely and that was not part of the deal
1: let me slow you down just a bit, because, of course, this stood out to me in the book. You you so deeply love this man. Yes, there I did. There is just no, no possible doubt about it. Um, and, of course, at the beginning of your relationship, you would have talked with him about uh, gender dysphoria or um, um, misalignment of gender identity in terms of his previous partner who transitioned that is completely different than this person you've loved for you know decades at that point coming and saying i i'm i'm just out of sorts with myself you know and 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 generating a conversation somehow i doubt you would have left him immediately at least um what Uh what do you think would have happened had he brought it up at that point in your relationship as opposed to at the beginning where as you say you kind of established a contract
2: well three years into our marriage I discovered the, the uh, women's clothes under the bed and before that I had already told him how creepy I found this transgender woman that I that I'd been in contact with without having any idea that this was part of him. So I already knew when he meant, when I found the clothes and he was not pleased that I found the clothes, it was a, I don't know what he, when he planned to tell me this, but uh, it was certainly not at that moment. Um. So, you know, then he said, he dismissed it and said, Oh, this is nothing. It, It's just something I did and experiment and I experiment from time to time. And to be clear,
1: because I work in this area too, um, cross-dressing is not the same as being transgender either.
2: That's right. But cross-dressing was also not part of our deal. Not
1: part of your deal either.
2: And I, you know, I, I thought. If he came tripping across the floor in, in heels and a bra and panties, my first reaction would be like reacting to Monty Python uh dressed as a woman. It would be laughter, which would be the absolute worst thing I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. And uh but he didn't want to talk about it and he did not want to go to counseling. And so you know all i could do was love him and we had a we had a wonderful marriage and he did his very best i know he wanted to be a good husband and i think maybe uh, jennifer finney boylan has written an interesting book called she's not there in which she talks about her transition and she said that when she was james she thought if i ever truly fall in love all of this will go away it will all get straightened out
0: Mm -hmm.
2: so terry was a terrible procrastinator and i said you know you procrastinate on everything but you didn't procrastinate on me as soon as you met me it was a phone call every day and you know i'm there i'm there i'm there i said well how do you explain that and he said it sounds peculiarly like love doesn't it
1: (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful comment! You know how many? Just a note on that, um, since since I'm a cisgendered lesbian, how many lesbians have gotten married, and yeah. gay, and anyone with with a um, different sexual or gender identity have gotten uh, have hoped relationship could change what is a basic part of a human soul, right? Uh, it just
2: does not happen. As I, I, I know quite a few people, I mean, uh, more than I could count on one hand, who who entered into marriages with someone who turned out to be gay, and that was the old fashioned way. The transgender is a is a new uh new iteration of it because I, I don't know what they did in years before transgender people were accepted. They yeah, and died like Terry, you know, with their secret uh hidden story. Very,
1: very possibly, very possibly. Or they really uh I know there are stories of Women who dress like men and were accepted as men all their lives because wow. no one knew until they died. Right? So there's all, and of course, there are two different things there too. I know very masculine dressing women who are not, who are definitely women. They didn't, you know. So uh, where I come out on in it is how do we get to the place where people are allowed to define themselves because. You know, if you have to hide yourself, that's really a calamity.
2: Yeah. Uh, I've come to a further conclusion than that. Um, we are coming to the point where people can declare themselves transgender or whatever. And that is up to the person. And nothing is ever going to change that. Nor has it ever in history. There was a transgender Roman Empire emperor. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cannot change that. So the only thing that can change is how other people view them. Uh, And I think it's it's up to us to find the place for transgender people, which we have not, we've only begun to think about in our culture. And um, a friend of mine who is a psychologist said uh, that the indigenous people had the view that every member of the tribe counts. And I think if we changed our attitude a little bit to say everybody counts, so what is this person going to do? And what is that person going to do? The transgender people, I, I was uncomfortable with them in the beginning. I'm talking about transgender women. I know a couple of transgender men, but not, not very well. I know some women much better. And if you can get over the, the first hurdle called
1: probably called social training
2: (laughs) that gets over your social training exactly uh they are very refreshing you know these people have been raised having fistfights in the playground (laughs) being in the smelly competitive locker rooms of boys all of these experiences they've had which have given this kind of which to a woman are devil-may-care things. You know, I can go where I want, I can hit somebody, I can do, which women would never do. And um, it's very refreshing to have both of these, the nurture and the nature, kind of playing out in a different way. Oh, I really want to talk about that more and it's
1: time for a break. So can we take a pause and come back and talk about that more? Uh, (laughs) Because, um, you know, there's so much... Uh, so much conversation in in my community, my LGBTQIA, broadly, community uh, about is, is it the same female? Is it different female? How is it different? All those things about both lesbians, gay men and transgender people. So that's very interesting. Let's come back to that. And as we go to our break, listeners, I want to thank our new sponsor, Lifeline Screening. I'm intent on living as well as I can for as long as I can, and I, most of you probably agree with that. So I'm happy to collaborate with them. If you're 40 year old, you're supposed to have periodic preventing health screening to detect your risk of having a stroke or cardiovascular disease. Lifeline screening has provided a a package, it's 50% off package, for five preventive health screenings for $159. If you don't have adequate healthcare, that might be very helpful. They're conveniently located all over the country. It's easy, painless, non-invasive. And you can get some peace of mind or some early detection. So call Lifeline Screening at 833 539 0231 for that special package pricing. Meanwhile, listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America to follow me on Instagram, like me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, all of the things. And to find today's guest, go to annandersonevans.com. Be back soon.
0: Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
1: This is good grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, Working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month.
2: Play Finding Your Frequency podcasts.
0: If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to Good Grief.
1: Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Espinosa-Jones, and I've been talking with Anne Anderson-Evans about her new release, The Sweet Pain of Being Alive. And before the break, in, we were kind of getting into a conversation about you were you were expressing some delight in the in um, the energy of the transgendered people that you know that sort of seem to have this freedom that comes from having maybe maybe from having been a uh treated as a as a boy or a man along with the freedom of being who they truly feel themselves to be. That's how I would paraphrase what you said. I find that interesting, maybe not always true, but you know, could be true. Um because some transgendered kids actually run away from the locker rooms and don't, you know, are are kind of tied up in knots until they're released by themselves. Um agreed?
2: I'm so sorry.
1: It's okay. Uh I- with- would you agree with that? But the, but, but the yes. people you know have sort of a freedom and a buoyant life
2: force. But if, if, a, if a person is raised as a boy, they have to make that decision uh, whether they're going to flee from it and be bullied or teased or whatever it is. And a woman doesn't, a girl, doesn't have to do that. She has other decisions to make, which I'm sure show up in transgender men quite quite possibly
1: but you were you were um we were also kind of talking during the break about um who really actually needs to change about all this uh and and I I want to talk about that on air because of course the person and I know this from the inside out obviously um uh, my life would have been very sad if i hadn't claimed the right to be who i am i feel sure sure of that you know uh and it was not easy i had a minister dad you know i come from a religious family but i'm
2: happier for it right isn't that unusual that religious people would be so intolerant of people claiming who they are
1: well actually my my parents caught up pretty fast. And they did a lot of work in their lifetimes to try to bring other people along. So I really want to get that out there. But when I was considering living my life openly, which involved telling them, that was hard. Right? I didn't know if they would adjust. I didn't know if they would accept. So I think that's true still for every person who has to claim an identity that um, is not automatically accepted right by Mm -hmm. society um so you had said during the break it's really everybody else that needs to make it safe and possible for people to be who they are and i appreciate you
2: saying that um because i think it's it's more than just accepting what other people are we have to cooperate with them and uh interact with them so that we find the places where they fit and i was talking to you saying before that the transgender person can't change who they are and the only person who can change is us the the people who are watching them and um, the indigenous people someone was telling me about their treatment of of uh transgender people, the attitude that every member of the tribe counts. So you, it's our responsibility to find a place for all of these people. It's more than just saying, oh, good, you you can be what you want to be. We have to cooperate and interact. Oh, I
1: have, as I was mentioning to you, I do have some direct experience with this. And, and pre-colonization, before... Um, europeans came to the united states actually in most tribes um what were what could be called two two spirit people, yes. people who were not just male or female were the spiritual leaders right they had not just a place they had a special place yeah. which of course western civilization didn't approve of so we, we won't talk with
2: that story, <laughs> but we, but we I do that. We can ask them for to try and fulfill that. That would be a good place for people. Uh, and, I, for and
1: I think there are people doing that.
2: that yeah, uh, but yeah.
1: currently, they say that um, it, it's pretty well well documented that uh, people's attitudes about anything race. Um sexual preference, sexual identity. If you know one person that is from whatever group it is we're talking about, well, closely, yeah, yeah. uh, you're just astronomically less likely to judge.
2: Right, right. That's a good vote point.
1: against against them in laws or so it's experience too, but that takes people being brave enough to be who they are
2: with people who don't like it, <laughs> which, you and know. We see, we see, I mean, well within my lifetime and, and well within the lifetime of most adults, how quickly um, the uh, the gay people were accepted all of a sudden, like overnight. But that was the result of ever since so oh, what is the name of the tavern in new york um stonewall stonewall ever since stonewall the general public has been aware of all this roiling under current that's going on and but it took a long long time it took well, a that,
1: that you've just you've just uh kind of delineated the period of my lifetime since i came that's out right okay. stonewall was right before that i came out yes. and I- 71.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: all that to say, my impression of your relationship with Terry is that you loved and accepted each other, except for the part he didn't feel safe to, to share. It doesn't yeah. discount. I thought you did a beautiful job of helping me to feel that relationship.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that um and and
1: i appreciate that because it that's you know maybe the biggest part of grief in a way is the person right. yes <laughs> Who right put that person to us and i know you grappled a little bit with the fact that he uh kept this to himself um does that does that undermine uh-huh. The intimacy, the connection, the and and I guess I would say it can't, right? Because, because all of that was real, but it was limited by what he wouldn't share or couldn't share.
2: Well, I I have to admit to a sense of betrayal. Of course. Because, um The person who I loved so much, I I still feel great love for him. I'm not angry with him or anything like that. But um, so he was my third husband. My first two husbands were just catastrophes. And then I took 12 years, 12 years when I didn't even touch a man's hand to sort of get my head on straight and figure out, you know, what I like to eat for dinner and (laughs) all of those things. Find yourself actually. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) 12 years, 12 years. It easily took that long. And then I I went through this period of uh, dating a lot of different people. And then I met Terry and it was just so easy. And I thought, Oh, finally I have a good marriage. And uh, when we pass the, you know, 13 years and you think, you yeah, know, this is a solid, real marriage. And sure, we had a lot of problems, but I know a lot of people who've had terrible problems in their marriages. And so it's nothing unusual to have some bumps. Um, and then to find out that it wasn't real. He is wasn't... That- is that how you look at it, that it wasn't real? It wasn't real. Uh, Terry was a, a possessed of an extraordinary intelligence, which was noticed ever since he was a child. And he went about constructing his persona. Now, this isn't to say that he didn't enjoy some of it. He enjoyed many activities that men do. He played a mean basketball defense position. You know, he was rough. He could be rough. And uh, he loved to play go, which is essentially a man's game the way chess is a man's game. There were a lot of male activities that he enjoyed a lot. He enjoyed drinking, (laughs) going out drinking with the boys and uh, had a lot of friends who were wine connoisseurs and they traveled around and, you know, uh, so it wasn't all unwelcome to him, being a man. And, but, of course, gender doesn't define interest, that's right? right. <laughs> that's right. And he passed as a man. I, mean, I I went walking with his best friend today. His best friend lives in the town where I live now. That's one of the reasons we moved here, because Peter was here. And Peter lived with him in the same house for four years when they were in their 20s and he finds it very difficult to believe that Terry felt he was a woman because he never saw the slightest hint of it and i must say if he hadn't verbally told me some things i would never have seen a hint of it either
0: mm-hmm.
2: so um he and you know so so he was at the point then feeling that he wanted to die or do or transition or that I can't live this way anymore, is he going to jeopardize his marriage by saying, Anne, either I die or you become a lesbian, or is he going to die? And he chose to die. And I understand I, I mean I'm analyzing what he thought, but he did have the option of telling me that he felt death coming on and that it was because his last words to me were, I've always wondered what it would be like to be a woman. Mm. As mm. he walked out the door, the, the last thing he said to me. Just, it was sort of germane to the conversation.
1: <laughs>
2: but, and I was half asleep. That,
1: but, it, but it amplifies in importance because he then that day died. Yes, president.
0: Right. right.
1: I guess what I was thinking about is something a little different, which is um, it's hard for me to picture giving the relationship that you described that he didn't deeply love you.
2: He did love me, um, right?
1: Um, he was, but for you, he was a wonderful husband, <laughs> right? For you, and and I have to think, let's say you hadn't cared what gender he was. I don't know what would have happened then, but you did, right? So that's just theoretical. Yeah. But I don't know that you could have written that book, the book I read, if you didn't truly believe that he loved you, but he didn't think the marriage could survive that.
2: Yeah, that's true.
1: Is that that the way you see it? Yes. And he might have been right. We'll never know, right? (laughs) He
2: might have been right, and he might not have been right. Uh, Certainly, the least um, healthy part of our uh, marriage was our sex life. He was very ambivalent, sort of. I never really knew (laughs) what he was doing. (laughs) And a psychologist friend of me said, believe me, he was just as confused as you were. (laughs) it was adequate you know mm-hmm. and um uh, i don't know uh i i certainly know that i i would not have left him right away anyway i would have tried i would have tried my best because what you know when it comes right down to it especially at our age when we're not thinking about are going to have children and raise a family and all that sort of thing what difference does it really make and um well, it makes a big difference in the world.
1: Yeah. How you, have, how, yeah. Do you, how you would have dealt with having, having, having or not having a sexual relationship, you know, people who come out later who are used to being accepted a, in a certain way, and then yeah. they aren't, the payoff would have been better for him than you in that, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, that, absolutely. i would never have written my books i would i I have a friend who is the uh wife of a now of a transgender woman who used to be a man she stayed with him and she says all the time it took for her uh to deal you know they had to deal with finances he lost his job that um she had to teach him how to wear makeup, how to, what to dress. Every day she had to spend time with him, uh, showing him how to dress, how to act, how... And it just... Change inspired.
1: her own, uh, change her own pro- pronouns, change the way... Right. ...examine her own sexuality. I mean, a lot comes along with that if you're not the person. And the yes. fact is most people in relationships and then we're going to go to a break after I say this, Uh, in relationships have lived with needing to say, needing to tell, needing to work with it long before. So they've had time with it before the other person has had any time with it. And Mm -hmm. it sounds as if that would have been true of Terry too, had he chosen to share it with you instead of what ended up happening. Yes, Likely, he, it, he would no longer have been shocked right he's right. he's come to grips to the point where he could share it so it's real different for the two people that's for sure and there are people who are queer identified that that is not a big part of it if their if their partner uh realizes that they're transgender or Tells that they're transgender. It's not as big of an adjustment for the yeah. other because they're not as attached to those identities. But uh, the older the older people are, the more likely they are, right? <laughs> so, just because of uh, shifts in the culture. Let's go to a break and then come back to more. And you can go to my website. That is uh, Good Grief with Cheryl. Just changed my website, so I have to get used to that. Goodgriefwithcheryl.com or the Good Grief Host page to find all my connections, places to find me. And to find today's guest, go to annandersonevans.com. Back after the break.
0: Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today.
1: This is Good Grief Host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com. Dot com slash good grief and receive a ten percent discount for the first month. <laughs>
2: Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice
0: America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa-Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, Please call 866 472 5792 That's 1866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Grief with Cheryl at gmail.com. Now, back to good grief.
1: Welcome back. I've been talking with Anne Anderson Evans about her new book, The Sweet Pain of Being Alive. And Anne, uh, one thing I really want to talk with you about in this final segment, at, at one point in the book, someone asks you how you're doing as well as you're doing. And, and the way I would capture the well you were doing is you came to the experience of grief with a lot of curiosity, um, not as much self-recrimination as some people, not not as much, how could this happen as a, as certain people? And you seem to have credited uh, not being young, but it's more than that. It's also what you've done with your life, right? That, you know, you've exposed yourself to certain practices that make that more likely. That's the impression I got, but I wondered what you could say about what helped you In grieving what some people would say is one of the most painful losses to experience because of that betrayal factor, you know, just regardless of the transgender part, just the
2: suicide part, right? Right. Well, uh, it is true. Um, That's what my, my son flew in from California to be with me after Terry died. And he said, I thought you'd be a basket case. And I said, honey, this is not my first rodeo. (laughs) And really, when you've had terrible losses, I mean, unusually uh, catastrophic losses, it's, you kind of get used to how to handle them. But I started um, Zooming with the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. They had daily meditation sessions. And one of the things that they teach in meditation is that when you have painful uh, painful feelings, you sit with them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And sometimes it, it's excruciating to do. Uh, sometimes you can only sit with this pain for 10 minutes. But I got uh, longer and longer periods, I could sit with it and feel it because pain grief as with any um any emotion sits in your body in different places and if you can concentrate on those places and um heal them you know make it not grief this amorphous cloud it's Let that go, kind of in Let your solar plexus whatever yeah. and gradually Um, it began to integrate itself into uh, my mind and my body. However, grief has its own agenda. And I have only in the last couple of weeks had an experience which um, just gobsmacked me and brought up not only Terry's death, but some of the other things. And... I don't remember, people talk about flashbacks, right? I don't flashback to a certain person or a certain event. I flashback to the feeling Mm. that I had. You and me both. That's very familiar to me. That's how it works in me too. And suddenly this feeling you say, oh, that's Terry. And some other feeling, oh, that's some other thing. And they all just... And, and grief did this to me. It is completely not intellectual, completely out of my control. And you just have to let it happen. Uh, just have to let it come. I'll, I'll tell you, I spend probably
1: most of the hours of my week work with clients, which is a lot of hours every week. Um, most of the people on this show have already realized they can't, you know, make it go away. But most of the people who come to a therapist, how do I get rid of this? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and of course you can't, but if you don't fight it, it, go, it passes on its own. I mean, it moves on its own. Yes, I, I feel it's the things that we aren't allowing that st- seem to give us the illusion they're staying forever. <laughs> but it's sometimes the resistance that's staying forever. The feeling, once you have it, doesn't it tend to change into something else?
2: Uh, absolutely. It's a learning experience. It is, uh, this sounds sort of um, woo-woo, but it's it's a gift. It's a, you get insight, you get strength, uh, but you've got to sit with it. You've got to stay with it. And some people, I, I guess, find that very, very difficult to do.
1: I don't think we have training for it. And and not every meditator sees it that way. Yeah. I've also known a lot of, of people who engage in spiritual practice to get rid of feelings, right? Which eventually backfires because something comes along that you're sitting and that's what you're sitting with, for sure. I feel very grateful. I had a lot of years actively trying to figure out how I was going to grieve living with a dying person for you know almost a decade we'll do that too (laughs) so uh, you know I'm actually very grateful not for not for the illness not for the death not for the grief but for the lessons that were learned along the way that's what that you said woo woo to me, there's a difference. Who would be happy that you know these terrible things happen? That's kind of to my well, mind Well, you're not happy,
2: but they happen. So, they do so happen you don't know and, what you are <laughs> and it's
1: possible to learn from them, yes? That's that's yeah, absolutely. the entire point kind of this this show. So I feel that's just a vital um message for you and I to get out there about your experience because you're actually talking about two very painful things. Yes. a secret that your husband kept from you, and a suicide, right? Either one
2: of which could have taken the whole hour. Uh.
1: <laughs> Either <laughs> but, one, but they, but they live together, and they happen
2: yeah. Yeah. together in you. I think grief brings clarity, too, if you can work through it to the other side. And one of the pieces of clarity which I cling to is... You cannot change the past. You don't know what is going to happen in the future. You have to concentrate on what your job is right now. You have to do today. And that's very hard for me. As a writer, my imagination goes in all sorts of directions. And I, uh, you know, I have the... I can be scattered at times, you know, cause I'm thinking about something else while I'm supposed to be doing this. So that's my biggest challenge, paying attention to what I'm doing right now. But that is the cure. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about the past doesn't help you any, and imagining what's gonna happen in the future when you know that it's not gonna be whatever you're imagining doesn't help either. So concentrating helps a great deal and that's where meditating helps. And I also do Qigong which is very helpful for um your nervous system and for your clarity of thought. So,
1: you know, aren't you It seems to me what you're talking about is regret from the past and fear of the future. Yeah. Right. More than we're talking about the past and the future. I guess the bargain I've made with that is I'm grateful for what I learned in the past because it's made me present here, right? And I know I have what it takes to face the future. <laughs> That's the best bargain I can make to get me in the present
2: moment. Uh right, but another an- a trap that that I fall into is thinking that the past is going to repeat itself, that something that happened to me in the past and I worked through it and I learned my lessons and everything like this. But still maybe there are some lessons left to learn, maybe this relationship is like that one. And it is not like that one. It is itself. And it has to be viewed as itself. you are uh, afraid that the, that, that, that the past will repeat
1: you're not talking about a beautiful vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. even,
2: if, even if you went to Hawaii expecting a beautiful vacation in Hawaii, it might not turn out that way. It might not so, turn out that way. Don't bother.
1: <laughs> a mystery as we know from the last few years and i you know we only have a couple minutes left but i want to acknowledge that that this subject we've spent pretty much the whole hour on um uh, terry's being transgender was not the only thing he was upset about it sounded to me like he was upset about global warming the pandemic changed your lives, oh,
0: absolutely. Yes. so
1: I, I do have a sense that all of that has tipped the balance for a lot of people and made it extraordinarily difficult to continue to live their lives. And they either have to change something, deal with it, or mm-hmm. calamity. Uh, I don't know if you agree, but it does, you did include that in the book, the other things that were pulling him down at that time.
2: Well, I, I think that anyone who is transgender has an undercurrent of depression always. And they uh, self-medicate with uh, alcohol. Terry self-medicated with alcohol. He wasn't alcoholic, but he drank every day. And uh, and marijuana. By the time I met him, he wasn't smoking marijuana anymore, which is good because I hate the smell. <laughs> we would never have gotten together. Yeah, Switched to gummies, huh? <laughs> But uh, you know, I don't do that either. But um uh what was I what was I saying? Oh yeah, the undercurrent of depression. Um people take these use these coping medicine medication coping uh methods to deal with this underlying depression that is there that you can't be who you really are. So when something comes from out of the blue like climate change, which is in itself depressing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, some political development, which you can see it's gonna bring bad stuff. It just brings it all to the surface again.
1: It can be too much. I'm working with that a lot uh, these days with clients, even the ones who have happy and good lives are Mm -hmm. feeling all that. And that's sort of normal. It's what you do next, I think. But I just wanted to acknowledge that that can happen too, that you're kind of floating along-ish, you know, with whatever it is, and then something just makes it too much. Um, And may we all face it before that point, huh? Thank you for being with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's- I
2: very, have too, very much. Very
1: important subject. So thanks for the book and thanks for being with me today. Thank you. Keep up to date on what you're up to. And, you. and listeners, next week, I'll have Warren Kozak to talk about the book he wrote after his wife's death, Waving Goodbye. Talking to another spouse about that loss on Valentine's Day seems just right. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Espinosa Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Espinosa Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week.